Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Sup guys, welcome back to part three of this multi-part episode. Well done if you're still with us um, and you're still keen to be learning these things because we still have so many things to tell you. And oh my gosh, this one's the most important one, I think, because this is where we answer the the dozens of questions that you guys sent in. Um, and we're going to do our best to tackle those. But just quickly before we do, um, real quick, I want to just in between recording the last part of the episode and this part of the episode, there has been like a breaking news conference where, you know, Scott Morrison, Australian Prime Minister, has announced a whole bunch of you know, updates and changes. And, you know, so like it just really emphasizes, like we're saying, this is changing not just day by day, but, you know, hour by hour. So everything that we've Mm. told you is accurate as of the time of recording or as of the time we researched it. But like, just keep an eye out because this, this thing is developing rapidly. I don't know, Matt, what do you, you, you had a look into Yeah, I had a little bit of a look into it. I, um, I didn't, um, have time to watch his full conference, but I found a couple of, um, articles kind of surmising what, He's going over. Um, the main new things added that I can gather is added restrictions similar to the um, restrictions for visitation with aged care centres. They're also bringing it in with um, the criminal justice system. So that's going to mean like prisons and um, and that sort of thing. Um, there's a number of new cases that have come out as well. So as of now... The total number of cases in Australia is 717 confirmed, mm. um, which is unfortunate. It's just growing so quickly. It's um, terrifying. And one thing that this isn't necessarily any more recent than when I was talking about the school stuff before, but I have just found a couple mm. of extra details that I do want to throw in um, for clarity's sake. Yeah. It's not just like the government's being like, oh, okay, let's just keep all the schools open. It doesn't matter. They are still implementing things within the schools to kind of help um, flatten the curve as going to be oh, our, okay. new, our new, uh, our new um, buzz phrase. Buzz phrase. It's either going to be flatten mm. the curve or yeah. social distancing So um, is going to be the buzz yeah. phrase of 2020. Yeah. So, yes, yeah, still the main thing, um, a quote, preemptive closures are not proportionate or effective as public health intervention to prevent community transmission of COVID-19 at this time. However... Um, they are still providing a series of risk mitigation measures for early learning and child centres, including exclusion of unwell staff, children and visitors, um, reduced uh, mixing of children from separate cohorts, um, staggering meal and playtimes, that sort of thing as well, um, mm-hmm. enhancing personal hygiene for students, staff and parents, um, as well as um, discouraging excursions to parks and other places. And I think they're bringing in some um, influenza vaccines into that as well. So it's not like they're doing nothing with the schools. They're just keeping them open, but yeah, okay. bringing good, in a bunch good, of good. new measures within the school as well. And I assume educating yeah. the kids about things as well. So, yeah, stuff is being done. Actually, they're just not yeah. closing it. That's that's reassuring. I just saw an interesting post on Facebook. I won't, like, name names, but... Um, a friend uh, who's in her grad year of teaching um, just posted a status <laughs> sarcastically saying, you know, finally I could take the government's incredibly useful advice to separate my students 1.5 metres apart because there was only six of them today. So um, I think parents are keeping their kids mm. home. But um, she goes on to say that she spent every night exhausted 
um, from fear and her kids freaking out and that she's failed her grad year of teaching because her kids aren't learning anything. No one should feel so many feelings at once, she says. Um, so I think it is a really complicated situation because mm. um, obviously there are some schools where children aren't turning up um, and then there are some schools where full classes are still going ahead. So I think it's it's definitely not a one-size-fits-all. But I do feel for our teachers at the moment I um, it must be incredibly difficult trying to educate um, them but also trying yeah. to keep them, like, happy, I guess, because, you know, fortunately this isn't going to significantly affect them individually. Yeah. Um, they're not going to get horribly sick. They Obviously they're going to be exposed to it with sick family members and friends. But, yeah, I just, you know, props props to our healthcare workers and props to our teachers as well. Like just mad respect right now. Mm. Yeah, mad respect. definitely, definitely. So on that on that note, is it time to launch into our questions? We have we I think have we should so just jump into questions. it, yeah. There's like 25 um, questions. Ugh. Yeah, so we're just going to – we're just going to pump through them and um, – you know, apologies if you sent in a question and we we don't get to it and it doesn't get mentioned. Um, we we have tried our best to to tackle all the ones um, that we got. So there are some things that um, I plain and simply don't feel qualified to address, even with the mm. amount of time I've had to research. Um, I am a graduate. I graduated last year, um, epidemiologist. So um, again, I'm by no means an expert. There are just some things that Kate, Matt, and I agreed that you know we we wouldn't do justice tackling. So we apologise mm. if um, we didn't get to your questions. Um, whoever sent in the questions if that they get missed, that they'll know. Um, you can chuck us a message and we can do some research together. But for the purposes of mm. this podcast, we just wanted to make it a bit more um, easily accessible rather than yeah super complicated and guessing. So yeah. I'll just say that up front. Yeah. Alrighty. Number one. Let's lump. Let's let's let lump in. That's like jump and launch. In one <laughs> let's word. Lump, lump into in it, okay, bros. Let's lump into it. So, question one: What is setting this apart from things like swine flu? Oh, I read that question and I was like, "That's so easy to do," but it's kind of not because there's so many complications. <laughs> so, um, so is swine flu a coronavirus? Absolutely no. not. Swine flu is an influenza. It was a. Um, so it basically it was a. Um, Influenza virus that um, went under a recombination, so parts of uh, human influenza and parts of pig influenza and bird flu recombined and then entered mm-hmm. the, the human population. So it wasn't just pig jumped into human, there was a recombination event. So it was a bit of human and a bit of pig. So that's oh, um, that's Didn't airborne that. difference. Yeah, airborne difference mm-hmm. number one. Um, Secondly, uh, the age categories. So swine flu in 2009, um, you know, I was in year nine, I was 15, and it was like 30 girls in my year level got sick. So it was like mm. really more prominently a um, a younger person's thing. And, and some of the hypotheses mm. around that was that it was similar to a flu that went around when like our grandparents and parents were younger. So they had some pre-existing immunity, but we didn't. Mm, Um, So that's a difference number two. Um, Symptoms are similar, again, but not the same. There tends not to be those um, gastrointestinal with the flu as much just because of those ACE Mm -hmm. receptors that we, ACE2 receptors that we talked about. And at this stage of the outbreak, I'm not sure we have enough information to comment on how different they are in terms of spread and mortality. Um, Swine flu spread across the world, I think they said estimates of up to 1.4 billion people were affected. Um, And we're not at the end of this outbreak yet. So yeah, I'm not sure if we have enough info to comment on on 
spread and mortality between this and swine flu. What made it so um, different was that it was it was this real combined from from the animal. Usually, flu season. Um, mutates it's called um antigenic drift so every year mm-hmm. you get a slightly different flu because the proteins on the surfaces the change exactly yeah right exactly yeah so that's that's called that's just like a sort of change in in sort of a little bit of the the subtype whereas antigenic shift is what we saw in 2009 where the virus completely combines with another one so instead of just getting um accumulation of mutations you get like a whole new surface protein taken from another mm-hmm. virus so um yeah that's that was a really big event and we hadn't seen one like that since i think it was 1957 or 67 there was something like that that happened in hong mm-hmm. kong um so yeah that's why swine flu seemed really um interesting it got a lot of news because of that recombination mm. event um in terms of, I'm pretty sure I saw Donald Trump say something stupid like, you know, it's just like swine flu, Obama did this. And it's just not. It's just plain and simply, <laughs> it's plain and simply the human response to it has been different. The, you know, rate of transmission has been different and it would be easier to develop a, va- develop a vaccine compared for flu than this because we have, you know, backbone vaccines for flu yeah. developed anyway. So you've got your I mean, template yeah. there, whereas... Yeah, there really aren't many, if any, I think, sort of template coronavirus vaccines. So yeah, that's the difference. Awesome. <laughs> Good <think>. answer. <laughs> Let's smash Again, on. Not an expert, but yes. That's all right. That's, that's you know, that's a good answer. So Thank you. next question. COVID-19 has been characterised by blood lymphopenia. Is this common for respiratory infections or is it an, an unusual symptom of SARS-CoV? COV2. So you're going to have to unpack that for Matt and I a little bit. Blood lymphopenia. Lymph, lymph, uh, I, I can't even really pronounce sure. that word if I'm honest. Have a go. Yeah, I'm not going mm, li- to. Lymphopenia? Yeah, you did it. There you go. It's great. It. Um, it's got pain. So, <laughs> so lymphopenia, um, I think we also refer to it um, as lymphocytopenia. Um, it's basically where mm-hmm. um, your lymphocyte count is in your bloodstream is lower than normal. Lymphocytes are a kind of um, white blood cell. and um, So immune cells. Yeah, so right, immune yeah. cells. And basically I don't understand really much about that at all, but I do know that this was um, seen in, in SARS 2003. So I, I won't okay. go so far as to say it's common for respiratory infections, but it is common for this coronavirus, SARS, SARS CoV-2 respiratory infection mm-hmm. um so in the part of the question where it's is it an unusual symptom of SARS-CoV-2 I would say no I'm actually looking at an article published in 2003 I can um put it up for anyone who wants it but it, the, link um, will, the link will be in the description yeah exactly so it basically says this was in 2003 SARS understanding the coronavirus apoptosis may explain lymphopenia of SARS so basically this article just says that um apoptosis is controlled cell death so that possibly in response to this infection, um, more cells than usual are undergoing um, controlled cell death, which um, might be um, uh, targeting our white blood cells, which could result in the lower white blood cell count um, Mm-hmm. white cell count in the bloodstream. Again, this is just from like really basic reading. We got these questions only a couple of days ago. But in terms of is this yeah. common, um, it was seen 17 years ago. 
17 years yeah 17 mm-hmm. years ago and it's been yeah. it's been seen yeah. now as well so i wouldn't say it's atypical to this um outbreak um i, I wouldn't mm-hmm. i don't know if it's common in the flu um but it was definitely seen with the other coronavirus outbreak so yeah so for me to try and unpack that and 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 dumb it down a little bit basically that's saying we think that there is a chance we don't know for sure because it's only some basic readings but this um, form of the coronavirus is also damaging our immune system a bit by attacking the white blood cells. And that is possible because that's what we saw in 2003. It was doing similar things. Yeah. Yeah, that's pretty much it. Okay. So that the cool. effect of SARS on these peripheral blood lymphocytes um, has been seen before. Um, right. And, you know, I, I'm not, you know, I have a, an undergraduate qualification in immunology. I'm by no means an immunologist. But, um, yeah, it's definitely something that has been, been recorded across both outbreaks. Cool. Well, not Interesting. cool, but understood. Anyway, yeah. <laughs> um, cool. So any updates on whether there is an animal reservoir that has been found yet? So first of all, animal reservoir, we need to, we need to explain yeah. this term, I think. Yeah. I'm just imagining people. like a, like, you know, water reservoirs, <laughs> but it's like a big old dam, but it's just full of like lovely little animals. And just when you need a couple of nice little animals, you just take a scoop. <laughs> now that I'm saying it out loud, I, it was more cute in my head, but now it just kind of sounds like factory farming. Now and now I'm sad. Morbid. <laughs> oh, my yes. dear. Dear, dear, So what dear. is it actually? So, yeah. Yeah. So um, an animal reservoir or a natural reservoir is another thing that it's called, is basically um, – uh, organisms or an environment where an infectious pathogen, be that a bacteria, parasite or virus, naturally lives and reproduces. Um, so this is going to get complicated. Because we're talking about a virus that can only reproduce as far as we're aware in human cells, I wouldn't call bats and pangolins a reservoir. I would call them the origin mm-hmm. and the intermediary species um, and then we are the host. So um, mm-hmm. it's it's difficult where, say, um, an animal reservoir of um, dengue fever is mosquitoes. Mosquitoes put it directly into humans. Um, right. Or it's a vector, mm-hmm. I guess. That's probably a terrible example. But, but, it, but it's more difficult than just saying, do we have an animal reservoir? If the person is asking the question... Um, do we know which animal it came from? Then, then yes, there's fairly good evidence, as we've mentioned in the previous two episodes, that this originated as yeah. a bat coronavirus that then um, entered the pangolin population, which then entered the human population in in a dual spillover events. Um, yeah, the animal reservoir more means um, uh, the pathogen lives in the animal. It has a full life cycle there, but it can also then get to humans from there. Um, let me just quickly give a good example. Obviously, these things are all better with examples. Um, mm. An animal, so cows are natural reservoirs of some diseases. Um, and then here it is saying that bats are common res- common reservoirs, but it's more, yeah, it's more that the rat is sort of the, I'm uh, not the rat, the bat is the, the origin species. Um, in this instance. Yeah. In yeah. this instance, yeah. So um, animal reservoirs, 
what's this one? Um, cholera in humans has natural reservoirs in like zooplankton and shellfish. So um, oh. if you were to try and get rid of cholera from the whole world, you'd have to get rid of the animal reservoirs as well. Um, so it's probably hard mm-hmm. to do that. Um, Ebola has a natural reservoir in bats as well. And um, rabies has an animal, animal, multiple animal reservoirs. Um, cat scratch fever, you know, if you have you ever heard of that where um, you, know, you can get all these like mind control infections because cats have this like mm, plasma. Mm. Um, oh, I heard about this, that. What is it, yeah. a parasitic or whatever in their poops? And um, salmonella has animal reservoirs too. So I guess you could say, yeah, there's an animal reservoir, but we didn't get it straight from bats. There was a process um, for it to, to get there. But mm-hmm. if they're asking where did it recombine, then, yeah, bats, pangolins probably, and then us. Is that okay? Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. Yeah, yeah. No, that was great. Cool. So um, next question is, this person has been hearing that the SARS-CoV-2 can hang out on some surfaces for up to 72 hours. Is that typical for enveloped RNA viruses or is that abnormally long? Is that even the correct figure, 72 hours? I don't know. I've read that it depends on the surface. Like what? from what I understand, there was one study that I read where they found it lasted, they tested all the different materials that like might be in a hospital, for example. And so like it lasted 24 hours on cardboard, two days on stainless steel and three days on a type of hard plastic called probably, gosh, I can say words, polypropylene. Um, And only four hours on copper, which is apparently copper is a surface that's known to break down viruses and bacteria, which I didn't know. I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Um, So I think it depends on the surface, generally speaking. But, like, you know, 72 hours, what's that? Is that three days? I'm like UK. I've seen studies that's three hours in aerosols, up to four hours on copper, up to 24 hours on cardboard, but Mm -hmm. then two to three days on some plastics and stainless steel. So, yeah, I guess that's the 72 hours. It's possible for sure, which is why, you know, if you're working, say, if you're still at work and you're sharing keyboards and mice, Computer mouse, the plural would be mice. Computer mice. I've never had to pluralize that before. Computer mice. <laughs> computer yeah, mice. Computer mice. Um, if you're sharing those, then that's when you'd want to get out your 60% alcohol wipes and, and, and wipe them down. So, mm. you know, um, and this mm. is all undisturbed. Like if you're going to wipe down surfaces, if you're going to wash things, it's not going to be there, hopefully. Um, but, yeah, I guess that's, yeah, that 72 hours is probably true. Um, for the second part of the question, is this typical for enveloped RNA viruses or is that abnormally long? Um, I don't think it's abnormally mm. long. Um, I guess I could talk a little bit more about those envelopes. I mentioned last episode, but they're usually derived of um, portions of the human cell membrane. So which means, you know, as your skin can be sensitive to drying out, these cell membranes are sensitive to drying mm. out, heat, detergent. Um, so, uh, they can live on surfaces. Our cells can live on surfaces. Um, but, mm. yeah, I don't know if it's abnormally long. Mm. Yeah, I think that's all I had to say on that one. So the next question. So this person has written in and said, it seems to me that there are COVID-19 cases in both hemispheres. Correct. So that's both hemispheres <laughs> of the globe. Um, definitely. Uh, and like, you know, probably from the time that they wrote this question and us now addressing it, it's far more obvious. Um, but is the question then goes on to say, is there any good data or information about whether COVID-19 will subside as the seasons change? 
Uh, this is a tough one because. So is this just going to be a seasonal flu? Yeah, or, I mean it's hard. You know, it's it's hard to say. Well, if, just looking at Australia, we're you know at the tail end of we're summer. We're coming into exactly. flu season. So if we're going to talk yeah. about it being a winter thing, then we haven't seen even any of it. Um, so fuck us, mm. right? Um, but no, I don't think so. A lot of people have been putting stock into this because the SARS outbreak in 2003 sort of finished up in July, but that was more to do with um, global mobilisation for isolation. You know, as I said mm-hmm. in the previous episode, China put in some pretty strict um, social rules. So um, it finishing up in July wasn't really to do with the changing weather. Um, I personally don't mm. think that the weather will have much to do with it. I mean, if you're looking at where there are outbreaks now, um, there are outbreaks in warm places, um, you know, like, for example, MERS back in 2012, Saudi Arabia and the UAE, they're pretty hot. Mm, um, they're pretty fucking yeah, hot. Yeah, and there are outbreaks in places that have humid weather now. So if it was all weather-based, mm. then we wouldn't see. I mean, Singapore is arguably a humid place and they don't have a lot of outbreaks, but they also got on top of their their social control pretty yeah. quickly. So that's It's hard to say how much exa- of that is exactly. related to the climate, Which the weather. Which props to Singapore for that because they're a pretty uh they're a pretty dense place. Like yeah, they just, they're, they're one really of the smart. largest concentration mm. of Peter pool for a small space. So yeah. if they've kept it under control, like well yeah, done Singapore. Totally. And I guess the only the yeah. only thing the only I think the reason why people hold on to it and I actually read an article this morning, the the 20th of March. I don't it wasn't published today. I think it was published last night. But they are doing some research some physicists um into how respiratory droplets evolve in different temperature. And I actually looked into this when mm-hmm. I did my master's research on influenza and the impact of climate change. Um and basically mm. there is some evidence that humidity conditions can affect um Respiratory droplets, there's some evidence that suggests warm, humid weather can make it difficult for these droplets to travel further and be suspended in the air longer because the air is heavier, I guess. Uh, Again, I'm not a physicist Mm. and I haven't looked at it, but some evidence suggests it um, doesn't stay in the air suspended for as long if it's humid. But, um, I mean, the biggest thing we see seasonal changes isn't necessarily to do with the air but but human behaviour. Human activity is the thing that changes a lot with seasons. In summer, people are less likely to be indoors um, and people are more out and about. There might be, there might still be some closer contacts, but we're not all huddled together on the train. Some people ride their bikes in um, summer. But also in saying that, people go to the beach, there are festivals. So, you know, there are more distancing in summer, but also less distancing. Mm. But but the key here is, is yes, the Northern Hemisphere is moving into summer. Good for them, but we're not. Um, and I think yeah. the biggest, and this goes into something I wanted to say last episode as well, and you mentioned the flu earlier. The big reason why we need to flatten the curve is because we're getting into flu season. And if we have massive corona virus mm. infections and we have massive flu infections, then our hospital systems won't be able to cope. So, yeah. And that's why they're encouraging everyone to get their flu shots early and to exactly. definitely get their flu shots this year. It's not because getting the flu can make coronavirus worse we can't, or we whatever. We can't afford it. them both at the same time would be bad. Yeah. It's just that we can't care for everyone. Yeah, exactly. Please look after yourselves. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. No, that's, that's a big deal that's for a good us. Point. Um, and yeah, so the seasons one is hard. I don't, yeah, there will be more research into it, obviously, with um, climate change as we've seen it. I'm sure 
people are going to do more research into that. But I, I don't suspect that just because the warm weather is going to hit Italy that they're going to all of a sudden be in control of this. I think that Fine. would be wishful thinking. That's unfortunate. Yeah. All right, let's hope for <laughs> let's hope we can get a bit more optimistic here. So, one of the surprising elements of COVID nineteen is that while it infects children at about the same rate as adults, it appears to have generally a more mild disease. Um, so, what's the deal with that? Does the ACE two receptor that we were talking about before does the expression of that change with age? Is there some other factor that we know, or are we just we're still kind of in the dark as to why this is killing off the? The older folk and not so much the bubbies. This is the rabbit hole I went down. Okay, my you should see mm. my Google Doc with this. I went crazy, so please stop me because, yeah, there's a lot here. Um, so <laughs> I read an analysis. It was published on February 24, so that might be out of date. We're, we're March 20 now. Who knows? But this team mm. of research at John Hopkins uh, University and in China collaborated Um and uh, of, at the time, the 72,000 confirmed cases in China, children under the age of 10 were less than 1% of those infections. And of the 1,023 okay. deaths at the time, not a single child was among them. So um, the director of the World Health Organization, uh, he said that there was um, relatively few cases among children worldwide. Uh, obviously, we need to research that. Um Mm. what's the deal with that? Does ACE2 expression change with age? So I I did have a look at this and basically what I researched it is um, as you age, uh, so more cells become inactive and the immunity, the immune system loses its capacity to respond to new infections. So I think it's from like age 25 or by age 25, your thymus, which is the organ that produces all the good immune stuff, starts deteriorating. Mm -hmm. um, so you've got like a fully formed cool. thymus and then, you know, you become an adult and it's like, well, So see you ya. and I have already started dying. Yeah, pretty much. Matt, you're Matt's still fine. fine. I'm still good. You're under I 25. I yeah. yeah. Um, I'm doing yeah. Um, um, That's because you're under 25. Yeah. That's it. That's, that's it. <laughs> Ellie, you're next. I'm next, exactly. Wait, am I older <laughs> or are you older, Kate? I don't remember. Um I don't know. <laughs> no, doesn't matter. We're the same. <laughs> um, Approximately. Yeah, so there's that factor. Point is, I'm young. You are. You're a baby. Mm. Um, yeah. Yeah, the point is that the your immune system does start to uh, not disintegrate. That's a really negative word. It just reduces in its effectivity. De deteriorate. Deteriorates. Just Lose fucks efficacy. off for a bit. It does fuck up for a bit. Just yeets itself away. <laughs> in terms of that ACE2 receptor, so there is evidence that it loses activity with age. Now, in saying that, wouldn't you think that you'd have less of a risk if you're older? Because if the virus binds ACE2 and you have less ACE2, mm. you'd think it's mm. less. But, no, that's wrong because... It would be less... Yeah, yeah because, yeah. you know... Because that's, um, that's not what we're seeing. No, and this is because um. I had a look. Um, the ACE2 mm. enzyme, which binds to the ACE2 receptor, is really important for immune response, particularly inflammation. So in some mice studies, this enzyme was shown to offer protection from avian influenza. And I don't know how to say mm -hmm. this without being super, like, sciencey, but basically when you turn off the gene for ACE2, severe mm -hmm. lung damage was seen compared to those with the ACE2 mm -hmm. gene activated. So reducing ACE2 activity with age could therefore be linked to an inability of the inflammatory response to function in the lungs. 
these are all hypotheses and I can link the article, yeah, okay. but that's basically it. Intuitively, you'd think age, less ACE, less infection, but it's actually age, less ACE, less ACE enzyme, less ACE enzyme, less immunity. So I don't know if less that makes sense to anyone. Which allows more virus yeah. in to bind to the ACE2 receptors that are still there, yeah. albeit fewer yeah. than when they were younger. Yeah. But yeah. you don't have the immunity there anymore to kind yeah. of keep it out. So it... Yeah, okay. And this is this is just No, that that yeah, makes sense. It's, to me. I thought so because I read it and I was like when I read that first bit I was like oh but then shouldn't we see heaps of infection in kids then? Um but then when it went on to further say that you know the ACE enzyme is involved, um it's called mm. angiotensin converting enzyme 2 if anyone's under wondering what ACE stands oh, yes. for. Um so yeah, so that's that, <laughs> yeah. Um, I've got, I've potentially got an analogy that could be it could be wrong, but hear me yeah. out. So Let's yeah. say that the ACE2 receptors and or enzymes are like the Night's Watch at the wall on Game of Thrones. <laughs> yeah. And the coronavirus or the novel Cove 2 SARS are like the White Walkers, yeah. right? And the, what, and the White Walkers are trying to get over the wall, i.e. the virus is trying to get into our lungs. It's trying to bind to these ACE2 things. The White Walkers, they're trying to like convert the Night's Watch into more White Walkers, into zombies, add to their army. The more Night's Watch that there are at the wall, the White Walkers aren't going to be able to get through because these boys are going to be able to fight them off. Yep. But if there's less of the Night's Watch there, they're not going to be able to fight off the White Walkers. The White Walkers are going to come in and convert all of your Jon Snows, <laughs> turn them all into White Walkers because they weren't able to hold their own. So even though the White Walkers are trying to uh, attack humans, so therefore more humans, better for the White Walkers, right? No. More humans keep the White Walkers away. Is that, is that, is that anything? It's, it's okay. <laughs> is that something? It's not, yeah, you, I think you've, under, you've, you've understood the, the premise of the theory. Yeah, it's not bad. It's not bad. I, I, I mean, got a little lost. It's not the ACE receptors themselves that are like fighting it off. But no, yeah. the more of them there are, the stronger your immune system is, i.e. the better the body's yeah. defences are. The less of them there are, the weaker the body's defences, the better chance yeah. they are of being overwhelmed and then bound yeah, to it's pretty, by the virus. You're pretty close. You're pretty close. So ACE receptor is needed for the virus to enter the cell. Um, so no ACE mm -hmm. receptor, then the virus can't enter that cell. But if the ACE receptors are deteriorating with age, then so is the corresponding enzyme, which is the one that mediates the inflammatory response. So in kids, I guess you could say because they don't have deteriorating ACE protein, they must have enough ACE enzyme to mediate the lung inflammatory response and fight off the virus. Mm. Whereas even mm. though there's less ACE in adults, it doesn't mean the virus doesn't get in is meaning that there is less of an immune response, I think. We need mm. a, a virologist and a someone else on. But, yeah, mm, that's what yeah. I've got. Again, these are theories. This hasn't okay. been proven. Yeah, I've got okay. the nature this article. This isn't necessarily yet. what, what mm. the case is. No. There's evidence to suggest this that it may be the case, but it's far from, far from. Yeah, confirmed. and this is really molecular level. Yeah. Like, this is really hardcore, like, mm. real microscopic mm. shit. Yeah, so this is solid science. This is, yeah, this is really not your average Joe's what they want to know, but I think it is interesting and someone asked, okay. so I thought it wouldn't be, it would yeah. be pertinent to, yeah. to have a look. It's cool. I love this one. This is, this is, this is up there with one of the best questions. Could this virus 
leave the world in some sort of post-society wasteland. <laughs> I didn't even know what to do with this. It's not the zombie apocalypse. Um, Are you sure, no, though? Because, I'm not. I don't know. I did like The Walking Dead. Um, I doubt it, but I don't know. What do you guys have? This is a funny question. We don't have to take this one too scientifically seriously. <laughs> there are economic impacts, that's for sure. I don't think they're mm. irreparable economic impacts at this stage. I think humans are a really sturdy species. We just like to live on and destroy the planet. Mm. Um, mm. I, I, I think this will be a case of what doesn't kill us makes us stronger, you know? Yeah. There's going to be a lot of economic, there's going to be a lot so. of um, social impacts. A lot of things are going to get damaged from this, but I think how societal, political, social systems, they're all going to learn from it. They're going to see what failed yeah. when everything went tits up. Yeah. And we're going to build on that. Mm. We're going to strengthen the weak points. And then if anything like it happens That's what again, I, we're I build certainly on hope. That. And I hope, you know, places like America that don't have the same sort of healthcare system. That's what I hope. We do here. Yeah. You know, that this will be an eye opening moment um, to, in fact, improve on society, not leave us in a post society wasteland. But, you know, who knows? With this remains to be seen. <laughs> Worst case scenario, we um, can just do some fat donuts around the Nullarbor wearing leather, pretend we're in Mad Max. Oh, that honestly sounds pretty fun yeah. to me, you know. I'm down. I could I could definitely get on board that plan. If you don't mind um, me, if you don't mind me <laughs> plugging another podcast just really quickly, because the, this podcast that I love, it's called Ologies. Um this woman, Ali oh, Ward, yeah. yeah. So she did a coronavirus podcast and she interviewed a chiropterologist who's a bat expert, a virologist, and a disasterologist. So I feel like if you wanna oh, you wanna see what people think is gonna happen, then that might be a good I haven't listened to it yet. I was gonna wait mm. after we did this to listen. I have, did I it, have was it's it good? good. Um I enjoyed yeah. it. Yeah. So I don't know. But I don't wanna spoil. Just, you know, pump out the same content. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> That's why. I'm not going to pinch content from someone else's podcast. No, exactly. But, yeah, definitely listen to the Ologies podcast. Um, there's a podcast called The Petri Dish as well that have done some good mini-casts. Yes, exactly. Uh, mini episodes on, on the coronavirus that I would yes. highly highly recommend checking out. But, yeah, in um, summary, I don't but think... But launching... I just will quickly summarise. I don't think it's going to be like yeah. 50% of the population dies and we lose all societal structure. I don't think that's going to happen. Mm, I hope not. Yes. Um, okay. So the next question, well, the next couple, it's a couple of questions that I'm going to just amalgamate into one. And it was essentially asking about the role of vitamin C and vitamin D in immune function and, and looking at, you know, whether people are currently researching um, whether we can use these vitamins in, in high concentrations, especially like vitamin C, as, as a potential treatment um, for, for patients infected with the SARS-CoV-2. Mm. Um and and so I found I found some interesting stuff on that because this this is one that you handballed over to me, Ellie. Yes. Um, and it was it was interesting in in the sense that so obviously the particular study that that the person who asked was referring to is is a study that's going on in China at the moment at Wuhan University. There was a trial that was launched in February to test whether ultra high doses of intravenous, so like straight into the veins, um, vitamin C, could treat the viral infection. Um, now, obviously, these things take a long time to complete and like there are no results yet. And in fact, we're not expected to have any results until September. So that's mm. that's the update on the specific study they were asking about. But in terms of just like a little bit about vitamin C and D, like we do know that both of these vitamins can play a role in immune function, like vitamin C can protect cells from oxidative stress, yep. which is, you know, 
a, a type of a type of stress that that can you know pierce cell walls and 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 do damage. And vitamin C is protective against that, and it it also helps you know produce immune cells that can help clean up the mess of of this sort of inflammation and this sort of infection. And and similar with like vitamin D, vitamin D. What I read, its role essentially is to keep the immune system balanced. Yeah. So like low levels of vitamin D has been associated with both a poor immune response, so like not enough of an immune response, but also with an autoimmune disease or like an over an over immune response, which can be equally bad for the body when our immune cells start killing themselves, essentially, and attacking our own good cells that we don't want. Both of these things are bad and both of these things have been associated with low vitamin D. So what we think is that vitamin D levels help keep this like fine balance in the immune system between like Enough stabby stabby, <laughs> but not like full blown massacre of mm. everybody. Like just kill the baddies, not you know full suicide bomber, kill everyone in the vicinity, sort of thing. <laughs> um, so like there, there is some evidence that like you know, I mean, sit outside if you've got an outside bit, get some sunshine, eat fruit and vegetables, get your vitamins, get your minerals. There are immune boosting properties to these things. There hasn't been any evidence so far that any any vitamin or mineral or anything um or even any any yeah supplement can do anything against specifically covid-19 um but that's not to say like eating healthy is always a yeah, good idea and, and, right and they're called supplements look after yourself yeah they're called supplements for a reason you're supposed to have them alongside things like obviously if you're deficient in all of your vitamins your immune system's going to not function but i think Mm. A, a good point to stress here is that just taking vitamin C tablets more than usual isn't going to protect you from this. It has, you know, good impacts. No. But and I mean, vitamin C specifically is a good example because vitamin C is water soluble, which means that like if you have like more vitamin C than you need, your body like you're just going to pee it out. Yeah, high like, dose vitamin C the water in your body exactly. Mm. And and you just you're just going to pee it out and it's going to do nothing. Yeah. So it's like just like you, in general vitamins minerals those sorts of things that you find in really healthy foods and vegetables and fruits and things have been shown Mm. and proven to help your immune system and boost your immune system so it's a bit more of a preventative measure in in general though but not not specifically in relation to SARS-CoV-2 or COVID-19 there is there is currently nothing directly linking these things but it's still you know good health is always is always a good practice so that would be that would be how I would address those questions no yeah yeah exactly yeah that Um, was really good I just did not want to research all of the hippie websites being like have your vitamin C and you won't get yeah, any no, illnesses. So I was like, Kate can do that. <laughs> <laughs> Good. It gave me some, gave me focus. Yeah. Um, okay. So I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna keep pumping through these yeah. questions. So, okay. So the next question goes thoughts on the prerequisites of testing, e.g. needing to have been overseas recently and to be symptomatic. Wow. Symptomatic. Um, not sure if that applies in other states and territories. So yeah. So, so this question is essentially just asking, you know, what are your thoughts Ellie Duckworth, um, qualified epidemiologist, um, on on the current prerequisites in order to get yeah. tested. Um, you know, is are we doing enough? Are we testing enough? Are we? You know, is there is there massive community spread already that we don't know about? This is about we're talking about Australia here yeah. um, specifically, but yeah. Like um, what do you, what do you reckon? So 
let's we'll preface this by saying they're not doing testing because they don't want to. They're not doing testing as we discussed earlier because there aren't enough tests. So yeah, let's, yeah, let's hypothesize exactly. that we're in an environment where there's enough tests for everybody. Um, then yes, I think they should be testing everybody. South Korea has done that. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in the beginning when there was only a couple of cases and there were enough tests um, originally needing to have been overseas and recently and symptomatic uh, was good for finding the imported mm. cases. I think as soon as you have evidence of community transmission, that is your imported case has infected someone else, um, you need to think about that a bit more and go, okay, so the imported cases, aren't, we're not catching them quick enough before they infect people, so what can we do? And what we can do is then is then test, lots and lots of tests. Um the other part of that question is the efficacy of contact tracing. So for those that don't know, contact tracing is um, you just mm. you break it down. You trace the contacts. Uh, if someone gets diagnosed, you interview them and say, where have you been in the last two weeks? Who have you seen? What times? What did you touch? You know, you've got to – and then they notify people and they find people at those locations, events, and interview them to see if they have any symptoms. Contact tracing is very effective just as an epidemiological device. Um, mm-hmm. It is harder when there are these uh, asymptomatic young people floating around who are transmitting it without mm-hmm. having any symptoms at all. That makes it a little bit more difficult. Um, but, again, that would be easier if we had more tests. So the prerequisites of testing uh, have to be that way because of the limited testing capacity. Um, I wish mm. we could test everybody. I absolutely something like oh, we tested. We've tested eighteen thousand people so far, or something. And South Korea tests that many people in a day. Um, mm. I think they're working on different testing, faster testing, different methods. Um, but basically, I I think they should be testing everybody, but I know they can't. So it doesn't really matter what I think yeah, because yeah. so you've got to just kind of yeah, yeah. it's tough because I uh, you know no. in an ideal world everyone could get a test at the drive through of Macca's in the morning getting their hash browns like that'd be great. <laughs> but wouldn't it? Wouldn't it? Be what nice? a system! What a you should the new Happy Meal toy. It's a COVID nineteen test. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. You open up. Your, oh. You get your bacon and egg McMuffin. Yeah, your hash brown and your little, like, yeah. COVID-19 tests, uh, and then absolutely. your uh, coffee on the side and your as well. coffee on the side, exactly, free mm. of charge. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so that's... And your orange juice, because vitamin C <laughs> is vitamin really boosting. That's uh, true. <laughs> um, yeah, so, yeah, whatever oh, my thoughts are, dear. you know, it's... I wish we could test more, but we are... We're stymied by mm. capacity, so, yeah. yeah. Um, so I thought... Um, I'd ask you the last two questions um, just to spice it up a little bit. Because um, people are sick of hearing your voice and they would love to hear the sweet, dulcet tones of my voice. I'm sick questions. of hearing right. my voice. In my <laughs> yeah, All right, so second last question, um, right. and yeah, I can help you answer this as well, but we both looked at it. If this is a viral thing, then why are people using antibacterial hand sanitizer? Will mm. that even work? Kate, what are your thoughts? So that's an interesting one. Um, Essentially, it depends on the antibacterial hand sanitizer that you're using. So the antibacterial part of the hand sanitizer, like you're absolutely right, if this is a virus, the antibacterial element is is, is not going to kill a virus. However, most, and I say most because there are some antibacterial alcohol-free hand sanitizers that exist, you don't want those. That's not going to do anything against coronavirus. No. Most hand sanitizers, though, have a very high alcohol concentration. And like we've said several times um, across our episodes already, 
using above 60% ethanol is like that's going to do similar things to soap. It's going to dissolve that capsid, that membrane that that mm. holds the RNA. That in envelope, the virus. not the capsid. Envelope. Just that's the, the envelope. word. Sorry. Yeah. Envelope. Yeah. yeah. That's right. So so it's the ethanol. It's the ethanol in the hand sanitizer that's that's making it effective. So like definitely and keep it's that, using that it. Percentage. Yeah, mm. yeah, and it's got to be higher than sixty percent. So double check that your hand sanitizer. So could you uh, if all your um local grocery shops are completely sold out of hand sanitizer. Mm. With Dunk in your hands and methylated spirits have a similar effect. Don't put your hands in methylated spirits. (laughs) Um, Some people actually saw on uh, like my local Facebook group for my suburb that I live in, um, people were using like a combination of if they couldn't find, say, um, antibacterial surface spray, they were using cheap vodka and vinegar. And, yeah, I mean. I mean, vodka's Vodka's not going to be high enough. It's not going to be high yeah, enough, but vodka and vinegar, it's better than nothing. Mm, possibly. The, as far as, as, far yeah, as the I reading that, that I did, yeah, mm. as far as the reading that I did, like, and everyone that's, you know, there's a few pharmacies and universities and stuff that are making hand sanitizer now because of the shortage that we, we seem to be having with everyone panic buying it. Um, but, but they're making, yeah, everything that I've read says it needs to be above 60% alcohol and the alcohol-free yeah, hand sanitizer is not going to help you in this situation. So absinthe is the way to go. Is absinthe 60%? It depends on the absinthe. Sometimes it can be as high as like 70 or 80%. Don't use drinking alcohol. Um, no, use just soap. don't do it. <laughs> if you don't, if you don't have sufficient hand sanitizer, use soap. Mm. Soap is going to be better anyway yeah. than hand sanitizer, even yeah. if it's like a high alcohol concentration because soap, like like we've already gone into a little bit behind the science of soap, like it, it's, it's literally made for this purpose. Soap is made to break apart clumps of oil, clumps of fat, which is essentially what this envelope is made of, right? And so yeah. just, just and, use and soap. Exactly. And the key the key point with hand washing with soap as well is um the, the actual mechanical removal of viral particles. Mm. That's what's good about hand washing with soap is your – I mean, I, I'm not sure how strong the evidence is that soap will break down every viral envelope, but at but least washing at least with soap – place it, it and rinse it away. Exactly. Whereas yeah, hand sanitizer is not going to do that. No, no. But what – and the good thing about soap, what it does is soap breaks down like the oils on the surface of your skin where the viral particles might be sticking to you that yeah. maybe just normal water couldn't get rid of. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I mean, hand sanitizer is good as long as it's not that – I mean, I feel sorry for anyone with eczema on their hands hands right now my, my poor yeah. little baby sister's got some uh, some nasty open wounds on her hands from mm. working in hospitality and uh having to wash and sanitize her hands all the time so yes my heart goes out to all you eczema sufferers but yeah we just got to keep doing it mm. so yeah 60 yep. percent that dead old stuff smells your eyes water when you smell it that's the good shit mm. Mm. and uh the last question, which is so Kate related, is can dogs catch and or carry it? <laughs> yeah, so obviously I was going to answer this one because obviously I've researched this extensively because anyone anyone who knows oh, no. me in person uh, knows that I have a dog um, and that my He's dog is beautiful. a very big part of my life and he sleeps on my bed and I let him lick my face, which is probably bad. Um, and I'm, <laughs> no I'm in very close, you know, he's a very big source of emotional support for me, so we're in close contact a lot, so... Of course, I needed to find out, is my dog at risk of catching this um, and and carrying it? And so when someone else asked this question as well, I was like, good, glad I'm not the only one who cares. So essentially, uh, the answer is complicated. So officially, we don't think that dogs can be infected by this. That is, it's not going to, this virus is not going to get inside the cells of the dog and, and hijack machinery and replicate itself, et cetera, et cetera, um, because they're just too 
different genetically. Yeah, they just um, don't have those receptors. They don't have the right the receptors. Um, however, this is complicated by the fact that there was, in fact, a dog um, in Hong Kong. It was a Pomeranian that tested positive. They did it. They did a nasal and an oral swab um, of this dog, and it tested positive. It was a weak positive, um, but there were traces of the um, SARS-CoV-2 virus, um, mm. in this dog. So we were like, okay. So what they, what they then did is they were, cause this was in the, in the sort of early stages, we were like, okay, we don't know if the dog can be infected. Um, but then what they yeah. did is they, they followed up with a blood test similar to, I think you, you alluded to before antibody testing as a potential future yeah. method. Um, and essentially, so, you know, when you get a virus, your body's going to produce antibodies that, that match, it's kind of like a complicated, like, you know, a lock and key sort of situation where, you know, your antibody is the very specific key for the, for the lock in the virus or the other way around. Um, and, and so you can tell whether someone has had the virus or not, um, by whether they have the antibodies specific to the shape of that virus. And so they did a blood test on this dog and it came back negative. So they were like, okay, but also this thing, this, this response takes time. So they were going to take another blood Mm. test two weeks later to reassess the situation. Um, the dog died. (laughs) Oh shit. (laughs) Unfortunately. Unrelated causes? Um, well, okay, so this is where it gets super complicated and really, really we annoying. Um, so the dog was 17 years old, which for oh anyone no. that knows anything about dogs, like that's quite an old dog anyway. Um, the dog wasn't showing any symptoms um, or, of, of, I mean, the dog was obviously taken to the vet in the first place to be tested. So obviously it was showing symptoms of some kind, but they claimed it didn't show any, any you know, relevant symptoms um so but maybe it just presents differently in dogs we don't we don't we don't know enough yet um but the the owner of this dog has refused to let an autopsy happen so we cannot find out the cause of death of this dog so we we still we don't know whether it was Mm. at all related to coronavirus or or not so but the, the world health organization has officially stated um that your dog can't catch or transmit it that's the official you know you could say who let the dogs out. Um, <clears throat> <laughs> oh, that was bad. That was oh, so good. Oh, who? Well, is, that, is that a meme? I, I haven't yeah. seen that. Is that a meme? I, I mean, almost, almost certainly. I would like to take credit. Well, it is now. But um, I, I thought of it, but I'm sure I'm not the first person to have thought of it because I thought of that as soon as I saw it and I was like, I'm saying that on the podcast. Um, so I'm glad I got to oh, get so my dog in my eyes. stupid dad humour in there. But, uh, it, yeah. Oh. So dogs so can't catch it. We don't think so. They can't carry it or transmit it either. The, the official statement... The official statement is no, that they can't, but I'm exercising caution in terms of Hondo. I'm not taking him to the dog park. I'm not letting him lick any other dogs yeah. while I'm in or quarantine. Or people. Uh, while I'm in quarantine. Mm. I'm Because I'm pretty much treating him just as just as another surface, like as terrible as that mm. sounds, right? Because, you know, th- this dog te- did test positive in its in its nasal and its oral swabs. So that's that suggests that it, even if it doesn't infect the dog, it can sit around in the saliva and the, and I the wonder, mucus I, for a bit. I'm just hypothesizing here and I know nothing about it so this could all just be absolute shit Mm -hmm. but I wonder if it's possible that maybe the dog soon before the vet clinic licked the hands of someone Mm. that had viral particle on their hands Mm. and then the virus was just in the upper respiratory tract but hadn't actually propagated an infection that could be it we obviously prefer an autopsy that's I think that's what the leading like 
that's the theory working hypothesis. is. Like that's yeah, that's yeah. that's I think what the official yeah hypothesis is given the information we have and given the information that we can get which is we can't get any more information None. because the dog has sadly passed <laughs> yeah. on and the owner won't let us do any more tests i say us it's it's not which, me but yeah so no, yeah. um i would say yeah exercise caution if you're exhibiting symptoms because your dog may be able to pass it on to other people there is still a chance yeah, it could of be that. a fomite um it could just, yeah, yeah yeah which which is just something that carries the carries the yeah, a fomite is just a physical virus. object that a disease is on. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, yeah, that's the... So you don't have to send Hondo to quarantine. a kennel for his safety. No, thank goodness. Um, because Good. he's the only thing keeping me sane right now. Yeah. So cool. so with those, those are Good. pretty much all our questions that we wanted to answer. Um, so I want to just spend the last little bit going over a couple <sighs> of really, really fun... I'm going to throw a couple of fun conspiracy theories Um I'm nervous. At Ellie. And this is going to be, this is just going to be fun because, you know, we wanted to kind of just finish on a lighter note and we will probably finish by, you know, addressing some of the positives that have come out of this because like, yes, there, there definitely are, are positives. Um, but before mm. we do that, just a little bit of fun. I'm going to, I'm going to start with conspiracy theory. This virus was planted by Greta Thunberg to help with climate change. <laughs> Yes, confirmed. You heard it here first, people. Greta Thunberg caused coronavirus. Cool. Uh, no. so you Glad we've got that one. Um, but that kind of ties She's into... She's a 16-year-old... Yeah. Ugh, anyway, it's, yes, it's ridiculous, into- but it does tie into one of the positives that have come out of this. I don't know if you've got any notes on this, Elliot, but in terms of we are seeing positives for climate change coming out of this right like we've seen a massive drop in emissions yes, from china um and, and from from italy uh we've seen planes you know canceling cancellation of flights like flights are a massive carbon emitter um so i don't know if you want to it, it feels relevant do you want to talk a bit about what this is doing it for does, climate I, I, change I prob- do you know do yeah you know i probably don't know any more about it than anyone else but um mm-hmm. yeah we're seeing um less people on the roads which is really good in hopefully a drop in sort of traffic accidents mm-hmm. um less carbon emissions um some of the big factories have had to close down some of the big polluters in um like western australia and things like that have had to close down um because of of cases or because of fear so yeah we are seeing sort of less of that sort of um toxic release into the atmosphere mm. i'm also wondering if um if we keep doing this social distancing if if it might help the flu season too like maybe mm. if we do social distancing and everyone gets their flu shot we might have a good flu season and by good i mean minimal so yeah there are definitely i actually read um an instagram post and i would find it but my phone is dead um that had i think it was the instagram like shit you should care about or something and it mm. listed like all the positives and there are the 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 reduction in carbon emissions is um it's just sweet yeah. It's just real sweet. I'm really I'm really all about Thanks, that. Greta. Yeah, Thanks, Greta, for planting this virus and causing this uh, <laughs> wonderful change Greta in things. Greta and Leo DiCaprio. Uh, yeah, okay. working together. Oh, they are. definitely. Okay. Uh, we've also got, you know, there's some conspiracy theories like, you know, it's a marketing scheme by hand sanitizer companies, which I think is ridiculous, um, or, or it's a marketing <laughs> and advertising campaign planned by Netflix because they just re- just released their documentary series Pandemic about how to prevent an outbreak yeah. <laughs> um, at the same time as coronavirus went uh, big. So Netflix planned this as an advertising campaign. Um, this sure, this, is, this sure. one was a great one, though. So... 
This one has some background. So in October of 2019, this is this is true. There was an there was a meteorite and it exploded in the sky over <laughs> northeastern China, right? Um, so a number of people have concluded that as a result of this, the meteorite actually brought this virus from space. Um, has it come <sighs> from space? I mean, is that no. something that's completely out of the question? Because we yes, we've because yes. we've traced it back to bats. We've traced, we've found it, it is, in bats. Hang on, oh, let yeah. me. Yeah. Let me. Have you been paying any attention, Matthew? Little <laughs> snippet. Where is my little paragraph I wrote? Yeah, but where did about... the bat get it from, though? That's the question. The <gasps> bats bat are just little hot pots of disease. That's just. I feel like I'm shitting on bats. Bats are great. I love bats. Um, I feel like no, the bats heat just harbor conditions that the meteorite would have had to have gone through first of all in entering the atm- earth's atmosphere and also in the explosion like that would kill off any of the virus anyway right surely not necessarily though i mean little side tangent there's some theories as to how that's how life started on earth it came in on a meteor <laughs> meteors are frozen and if they're big enough you could have life kind of like frozen in the center of it mm. and that doesn't get chewed up like not all yeah. of the meteor gets destroyed i'm not saying that's what did it here Look. but it's not I guess implausible for the in, notion of life you know, coming to Earth on a meteor. It, can't necessarily rule it out, rule it out but you yeah. know, it's 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 probably not it's probably not what happened. Um, okay, and it's finally, I think it's more probable than the Greta thing. Yes, <laughs> probably. I would so. um, okay, so this 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 last one that I'm going to hit you with is a fairly long Facebook post, and I'm going to read the whole thing because when you you it starts off good and then it just keeps getting better and better, and better, and it's just, it's it's amazing. So, <clears throat> first of all, do you know that the coronavirus is not a fucking virus? It's 5G oh. that's actually killing people, not a virus. <laughs> oh, but wait, oh, but wait. They are trying to get you scared. They're trying to get you scared of a fake-ass virus when at the 5G towers being built around the world. China was one of the first to have over 100,000 5G towers, and the people in Wuhan were the first to get affected by it. This 5G shit was planned years ago to depopulate us and keep us at a low vibrational state. What does that mean? Sorry, what is a low vibrational Anyway, it gets better. It gets better. Uh, I don't know. Bill Gates is the one who created this along (laughs) with all the weird entities that that are control this world. Yep. Bill Gates. Like the aliens? And and Greta Greta Thunberg. No, the lizard people. The lizard Uh, people. Sorry, the reptilians. Yeah. Uh, Yeah, the Mm. reptilian elite. Um, So it gets better. I just have so many thoughts. I can't do it. It keeps going. Yep. So, okay. So he is also creating a vaccine for this so-called coronavirus that they are going to try to enforce on everyone. These vaccines are oh, actually... Cool, they're an anti-vaxxer No, 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 well. no, it's better. Because oh, yeah. these vaccines are actually, 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 actually microchips that they are trying to implant in billions of people across the world. They can literally oh, monitor all Jesus. of your actions, your movements, your whereabouts, and your thoughts through these little microchips. Not only that, but they can end your life through their microchips. Yep, through their microchips with a push of a button. They know. So what? It's like the end of Kingsman. <laughs> yeah. So they know that in order to have millions of people take these vaccines, they first need to create a fake virus. Shake my head, it grinds my fucking gears that you humans are brainwashed enough to believe what the fuck the media and the news put out there. Wake the fuck up, start researching the truths behind these weird agendas they keep creating. You're really out there with masks and shit when it ain't no damn virus. Full caps, seven S's at the end of virus. These Chinese doctors and people you see on TV that are so-called affected by the virus are all 
actors. This shit is scripted out, literally. This is still the same post, by the way. Um, it's 5G towers that are killing people. No mask in the world can prevent you from the levels of radiation that are frying your brain. If we don't wake the fuck up now, this shit is really going to kill us. Um, but of course, you all think I'm crazy for saying this, right? Shaking my head. Fucking robots is what y'all are. Legit programmed robots. That is the full post. I mean, this has There's to be so a troll. There's so much right? in there, right? There's like... There has I to need... be a troll. I... That can't be a real person. I, oh, I want to believe that. I, I need... want to believe that so badly but also people there's just i've heard the 5g thing before i haven't heard it necessarily tied in with like bill gates and the whole microchip to kill you conspiracy but like there are some people that genuinely think it's 5g i'm just i'm not sober enough to deal with this and i'm really upset you didn't warn me because i needed to be drunk to listen to that um look i just i don't um no no that's no, it. is this a solid no. answer? No, no. Okay. No. Well, that's, I, um, I, mm. well, you may, you may, look, I, I take your no, but I raise you, uh, unless. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can raise as many unlesses as you want. I need a wine. Uh, um, uh, there's, yeah. uh, there's one more thing I wanted to cover and it's kind of linked in with that. And I'm really surprised that no one really asked anything about mm-hmm. this, but I know it has been surfacing and it's kind of in line with that absolute lunatic drivel that you just read out there <laughs> but that um people were talking about it being a biological weapon oh yeah that was another um, one that i read yeah 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 so basically and i mean there's like a bit of background to this wuhan there's a, a lab where they have worked on um biological weapons mm. before there's a really great podcast interviewed uh joe rogan who i have mixed mixed feelings about but anyway mm. he interviewed um Dr. or Professor Michael Osterholm a couple of weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Um, he's a biosecurity expert. He's actually worked in that area. And um, he says that there's absolutely no evidence that it's a biological weapon. Um, so firstly, people are saying that it was accidentally leaked, like they let an animal out. That just doesn't happen in, I mean, we've all worked in, well, Kate, you and I have worked mm. in labs. So you don't just lose animals. <laughs> um, most no. testing that you do on animals, um, Highly unfortunately, regulated. Boys and girls, uh, they also die. Usually, we oh. either euthanize mm. them or they die of the diseases we're testing on them. So, mm. unfortunately, or they die in uh, surgery, they don't live long enough to or escape. they die, you know, exactly through the experiments. They, it's really inconvenient exactly. sometimes. <laughs> the other theory was that the animal was released or whatever. Anyway, there's no evidence of that. Um, as we said before, according to genetic analysis, it's very clear that this thing jumped into the human population from bats through pangolins. Um, the SARS-CoV-2 backbone um, did differ substantially from already known coronaviruses in the population, but it was very similar to the bat and pangolin one. Mm-hmm. And just honestly, I don't think humans are creative enough to design something like this. We really aren't as good as Mother Nature Mm. at designing things to kill us. We just aren't. Even the best Stephen King novel about an outbreak was just based on the flu, you know, like he didn't come up with anything new himself. The Stand is a very good novel, but it was just, you know, we're just not that good. So for all those people that are like it's a biological weapon, shut up. (laughs) I'm sorry. You don't know what you're talking about. And, um... It's a bit you're, of unnecessary making, fear-mongering. And, well, was, exactly, and people at that lab have been, like, people at that lab are getting security to and from their cars. Like, people are picketing outside that lab and, like, really trying to, 
upset and hurt the the scientists there because they think mm. they've done it deliberately. So I just want to put a stop to that yeah. that theory. Um, sh- if if I'm proven wrong, I'll I'll eat a bat or a hat or something that rhymes with <laughs> cat. Maybe not a cat or there's a bat. Actually, I'll eat a shoe, but I just there's yeah. a paper. There's a there's a there was a paper published in Nature Medicine like literally a couple a couple days ago addressing addressing that point. And essentially, these researchers. Yeah. Um, you know, I've got I've got a quote here that I'm going to read out from Christian Anderson, PhD, Associate Professor of Immunology and Microbiology yep. at Scripps Research um, and corresponding author on this paper, mm-hmm. says, by comparing the available genome sequence data for known coronavirus strains, we can firmly determine that the SARS-CoV-2 originated through natural processes, right? Like it, it was not engineered. It was not you know, no. and if you, if you want to know the details as to how they did this, they looked at something called the S protein, um, which is, it's just a part of the, part of the virus. And, and they were able to sort of determine that this thing evolved naturally, you know, in, in, in bats and then got passed on to us. And it, yeah, it, it was not a genetically engineered thing. It, it's just a normal. No. Yeah. And I'll post, I'll post the link to that paper, obviously in the, in the description as well. So, um, that, that is a big, big no on that one. This is just part and parcel yes. of, of what I, happens sometimes. I categ- yeah. And I categorically disagree with that rumor. Mm. I just mm. pisses me off a lot. Mm. Like I've just, yeah, it is not a biological weapon and, uh, human beings aren't smart enough to do that. No, so. sorry. We're not. <laughs> no. I guess with that, positives, right? Yeah, yeah, positives. Positives. What, I mean, we we kind of covered come from the we kind of covered the you know climate the climate change. change, the emissions, the you know possibly we'll have a good flu season. Um, another really good positive, like, is just just seeing people band together. Like, I'm just talking from a completely local level here, but you know, as as part of the Facebook group, mm. the you know, um, for the suburb that I, I live in, you know, I'm seeing so many posts of people being like, oh, it's like, can I help out bringing, you know, groceries to someone? Can I help out with walking pets or babysitting? Yeah. Can I help out yeah. with, you know, uh, one of my friends sent me in like an Uber Eats gift voucher the other day because she couldn't bring me actual food. So she just sent me an Uber Eats oh, gift voucher. So and I was like nearly crying because I was like, this is amazing. And like, you know, just mm. people banding together has been beautiful and reassuring, especially just from my little local. The news is oversaturated yeah. with like the ugly side of things, yeah. like all the hoarding and like the brawls yeah. and the queuing and that sort of thing. But that's not all that's happening. No. Like you're saying on these local levels no. in these smaller communities, not everyone's in Australia is a shit cunt. Like most of us know how to deal with this, you know? Like yeah, that's, there's yeah. a very vocal minority that fucking news sites are focusing on and I don't mm. think that should be representative of mm. the population as a whole. No, I think um, we're definitely yeah, absolutely. helping each other more than we are hurting each other, even if that's not what the media mm. is necessarily yeah. portraying. I don't know. What what else did you have, Ellie, in terms of positives? My my, my last positive, really, and it, it's more um, academically related, but it does tie in with sort of forgiving old discretions as well, is being the open sharing of information. Mm. Um, we've seen multiple yes. institutions across the world sharing information and, yeah, there's been, you know, rivalry of who's going to get it first, but there's been no competitive, like, mm. no one's trying to hurt anyone else's work. Like, everyone's working They're hard. They're all collaborating. And They're whoever like, gets it done know. first 
if yeah. one team and, sequences and the genome, think, they pass it on so that, you know, the other team can synthesize the virus and then can, can do something else. someone else can develop the vaccine and, you know, like it's... Exactly. Like if you told me that in 2020 um, a research group would s- sequence something and publish it same oh. day free of... Yeah, like charge no. for everybody. I would not have believed it for no other reason that that no one ever does. It that. takes so and, long and for I people not in the scientific community and scientific sort of world. Like it takes a long time the, the, uh, to publish a paper, right? Because you've got to sort of you've got to first of all do yeah, your experiments, absolutely. and then you've got to write your paper, and then then you've got to go through this whole peer review process, which can take often several iterations, several months. You don't hear back yeah. from reviewers. Sometimes you do. Sometimes, like you know, it can take a long long time for yeah. a paper to come out but we're, we're getting stuff out same day for free like you're saying yeah it's another and, element. and we're getting yeah. drafts and we're being told you know things may change this is you know at first draft but but the the good thing I think as well is uh, as even though there's been a bit of xenophobia and there's been a bit of racism what I've seen in in you know obviously China got a bit of flack in in 2003 with SARS but I think with how open things have been and how everyone's working together, I think a lot of that's been forgiven mm. now. I think a lot of, you know, people thinking, oh, China just wants to keep state secrets, which is something I disagree with anyway. I think it's um, – you can't really – I don't think you can really argue mm. that now. I think that they've been they've been honest. They've definitely and, and they've provided a lot of mistakes. helpful information that has helped – like, you know, speaking locally Absolutely. again, like in Melbourne, the Doherty Institute, they, they from my understanding, um, they have been using, you know, the, the genome that was sequenced and released by the, the Chinese um, scientists to continue their work. And it's, it's just, yeah, it's that, I mean, that sort of, you know, bouncing off each other in collaboration is, is very common in science anyway. And that's, you know, how experiments but That's are, what we need to do for, for yeah, science. Yeah, that's, that's how it normally operates. But it's just, it's almost been fast like it has been fast tracked like that's and that's kind of well everything's well, yeah. fast tracked um but it's yeah um, it's it's cool to see and my favorite last little thing is and this is just super you know not even relevant at all but up until now when i tell people i'm a deputy epidemiologist no one has a <laughs> now everyone what knows that is. i'm now one of the first most famous yeah, jobs yeah. in the world i tell people i'm an epidemiologist and i get held up for a 2 hour conversation at the pharmacy so it's <laughs> nice for me to your be, existence you know, has been nice validated. Really important job. Yeah, and, and, you know, epidemiologists, we work behind the scenes. If we do our job properly, no one knows mm. who we are. It's kind of nice to have a little bit of, yeah. of recognition. And obviously we're not, you know, at the front line treating the patients. But, you know, it, it's nice to just have a little, you know, I don't get a blank mm. face now when I <laughs> and tell like, someone what I do. Shout out to um, all the epidemiologists, yeah. virologists, immunologists, microbiologists, any, any scientist that is actively working towards, you know, learning more about this virus and, and, and advising governments as to Absolutely. how to act and how to best contain it and respond. Like, shout out to every single one of you. Um, and every day it's changing and every day they are just mm, going with the flow and it just, yeah, I can't, I'm exhausted and I'm mm, not even really mm. working in the industry at the moment um, due to the virus. But um, I can't imagine how difficult it is every day to come up against mm. another statistic another wall and they're just really pushing through and I'm I'm really I'm really proud of the scientific community and and the general population in wanting yeah, to be so informed yeah. so I think this is going to be a big step in science yeah, communication yeah. I think this is going to be a good 
good progression for us. Um, and so with that, I think I think we should probably leave it on that good, relatively cheerful note. I know we've bombarded you Absolutely. guys with just like hours of content, and I apologize for that. But we just we thought it was really important to use the platform we have to just get as much correct and I and I with the caveat of you know correct at the time of recording as far as our research showed right and you know and and with human error as well you know we're not experts we're we're highly educated mm. and me specifically educated mm. in this field but I am not exactly. a coronavirus um, expert I'm just so I'll, I'll go mainly a baby to push through a lot of the misinformation mm. and the hysteria and panic and stuff that's, that's exactly. out there so it's, you know, not all good news, but hopefully knowing what, as far as we're aware up to this point, is actually true, mm. it might put some people's minds at ease. And so if you've if you've stuck with us this exactly. long and you've listened to all three parts of this episode, um, thank you so much. And we really appreciate you guys as listeners. And to everyone that sent in questions and everything, I've, I'm just... I am grateful to our little community and and this is this has been good and I'm glad I'm glad that we've been able to put out some um information on this. And thank you Ellie so much for like giving up your time. Yes, thank um, you so much and, for coming on. You know, like you said, you. everyone wants to hold Thanks you up for, for two hour conversation and we've managed to snag you for a whole day pretty much. <laughs> Three, um, four hours. It's been like seven it's been yeah, seven since, hours we've yeah, been we've, been what, we started recording great. like <laughs> Oh, 7 a.m. 10, 10, and and now it's nearly 6 p.m. and we started at 10 a.m. this morning. So it's been a, it's been a long, I've still got to edit all this. Yeah. It's been a long day in the saddle. It's going to be a (laughs) long night for me. That's fine. It's Um, worth it. (laughs) Yeah. It's been a long day in the saddle for all of us, but um, we hope that you guys got something out of this and, you know, stay safe out there, practice good hygiene, look after yourselves, look after those around you and just spread the love and the care where you can. Um, spread the love, not the virus. Yeah, spread the love, wash not the hands. virus. Wash your For hands. For God's sake, just wash your hands. <laughs> wash your hands, you dirty pig. <laughs> wash your hands, you <laughs> dirty, dirty you dirty horse. pig. Dirty pig. Yeah, that's what I was trying to get at, the uh, Eric from <laughs> Sex Education, um, you dirty pig. Yeah, good show, watch it. Yeah. And can I just plug, mm. if anyone has any questions, oh, I'll just yes, plug my, yes. my Twitter. I respond to things on Twitter. Um, just so if you can want to tweet me any questions, um, it's Ellie Demiology. So it's E-L-L-I-E-D-E-M-I-O-L-O-G-Y. So just epidemiology, but with and you know instead of epi. You can follow us um, at Curiosity Rat on Twitter, Insta, or, or on Facebook, and we'll, we'll link to Ellie's Twitter page and... and well, all of that And you can stuff. email any other future questions yeah. about other non-corona-related subjects things. at curiosityrat at gmail.com. Curiosityrat at gmail.com. Mm. So we read them all. We do. We read them. I'll respond. Um, but for now, I think this is where we should leave it. And I just, yeah, want to finish with that message of hope and just, just say, stay safe out there. Mm. Reach out to people. Rebellions you know? are built on hope. Exactly. Rebellions are built on hope. We're going to fucking rebel against this virus and it's gonna be okay, friends. It's gonna be okay. Um, Alrighty. Peace out, team. Curiosity. Kill the rat. Curiosity. Kill the rat. <laughs>